uh, he is here and he is present and he is alive and he is real and he is relevant and he wants to speak to you through the word of his truth and his gospel this morning. So with that in mind, let's, let's pray and, um, and begin our study. Father, I come before you this morning humbled that, that I have the privilege of speaking your truth. And, and, and it's always my prayer, Lord, that, that when I speak that you would deafen the ears to any error that, that I proclaim and that you would open hearts to your truth that I would, uh, that I would share. And Father, you have promised that your word would go forth and accomplish your purposes in the hearts and lives of your people and throughout the world. And Lord, we ask and pray that that would be true this morning as well. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start out by uh, turning together. Uh, just, I'm just have you turn to John chapter 14. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, hopefully you can find one in, in, the, in the rack underneath a, a chair in front of you somewhere. Um, while you're turning to John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31, in John chapters 13, this is part of a, 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 a broader uh, a section, four chapters of Scripture, John 13, 14, 15, and 16. And during these four chapters in the book of John, John, Jesus is shifting his focus from a public ministry to privately now preparing his disciples for the end of his earthly ministry. Jesus knows that he is heading to the cross. He knows it. His subsequent resurrection, the brief earthly appearances to, to uh, over 500 disciples after he rises from the dead, and then his ascension into heaven. He knows all of these things are coming. These events did not just happen to Jesus. On the contrary, they were foreordained. They were planned from the foundations of the earth. Everything Everything, every dotted I, every crossed T is going according to plan. Jesus' death and resurrection are not far off. They're not just somewhere in the vague, ambiguous, distant future. They're imminent. And John 13.1 makes it clear that it was just... Yeah, John 13.1 reads, It was just before the Passover feast. That's how he opens this four-chapter section. It was just before the Passover th- feast. In other words, this entire four-chapter discourse teaching that, uh, uh, by Jesus to his disciples privately is just a matter of a couple of weeks, very possibly just a couple of weeks from his crucifixion. So Jesus knew that his earthly mission was nearly done and he, and he wants to prepare his disciples now for something that... It is going to rock their world. It's going to shatter their, all of their perceptions. He wants to prepare them accordingly. And so it is in this context that we come to today's, to today's passage, John 14, 15 to 31, our relationship to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that for you, and I think that should be up on the screen. You can follow along or read in... I'd prefer that you, you if you have a Bible, that you read in your Bible. I find that when I read in my Bible, it, it acquaints me with my Bible, and I find things more easily, and, and it becomes fami- more familiar to me. But if you don't have your Bible, we have it on the screen for you as well. So John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obey them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And then Judas, not at Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. In our passage today, Jesus continues to push forward teaching the disciples the truth of what is about to happen. And as the discourse between Jesus and the disciples continues, it is clear that the disciples are more and more troubled by what Jesus is saying. You know, this... All that Jesus is saying brings joy to our hearts 2,000 years later. It brings comfort and peace. But it wasn't doing that for the disciples. It was troubling them. It was bothering them. Jesus has already made it clear that He is leaving. The disciples clearly do not really understand what this means yet. They certainly don't like the sound of it. It's troubling to them. Knowing this, Jesus says over and over again, as in John 13, 19, I am telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, then you will believe that I am He. The disciples are convinced of one thing, and one thing only. Jesus is the Messiah. He has proven it over and over again beyond a shadow of a doubt. They are awed and overwhelmed by the knowledge that God has chosen them to be a part of the inner circle of friends of the Messiah himself. Can you imagine living in that time and in that day? As uh, We've been living, waiting for 2,000 years for the Lord to return. Well, equally, they've been waiting for over 1,000 years for the Messiah to come. And uh, imagine that not only are they seeing the Messiah arrive in their lifetime, of all the hundreds of thousands and millions of people on the planet, these privileged twelve have, have the incredible 
joy of actually being in his tight innermost circle of close friends. It's amazing to them. They have begun thinking about how blessed they are, how special they are. They have even been caught dreaming about and quarreling over their special positions of power and authority alongside Jesus and his messianic kingdom. I'll sit on the left and you can sit on the right. (laughs) Uh, Well, you get to polish his scepter and I get to uh, fold his robe. (laughs) And with their own eyes, the disciples have seen Jesus' mighty miracles. We get to read about them, but they they got to see them. They've seen Jesus turn water into wine. They've seen Jesus walk on the water. They've seen Jesus calm the storm. They've seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, heal the sick, and cast out demons. And most important of all, as Pastor Rick pointed out a couple of weeks ago, they saw Jesus perform the one miracle that would identify the Messiah above all others. Giving sight to the blind. That was the messianic sign. With their own eyes, they had seen Jesus teach, not as the scribes or Pharisees, but as one with authority. They had seen Jesus calmly and decisively prove himself more than the intellectual and spiritual match for any who sought to discredit him or embarrass him or trap him. And they loved it. And perhaps above all, they had come to personally know and love this Jesus, this this man's man. This faithful friend who had a way of seeing into the depths of their hearts and minds. Their souls like no one on earth had ever known. These same disciples hated and despised the Roman Empire which had conquered the known civilized world and established what was known in the day as Pax Romana the peace of Rome the empire maintained the peace of Rome with a a brutal sword but the disciples are convinced that their own Jesus the Messiah himself has come and he will bring God's peace to the world with an even bigger sword and to their glee they are convinced that Jesus himself is indeed that Messiah and they're just waiting for it to happen Jesus was the Messiah, all right, no question about it. And that was the one thing they had gotten right. And they were ready to follow him to the ends of the earth. As Peter made so clear, speaking for all the disciples, that would, they would even die for him. You know, it wasn't, when we read that, Peter said, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll die for you. Don't forget, all the other disciples said, we will too. It wasn't just Peter who was the coward. Of course, it's easy to be brave when you, when you think you carry the biggest gun and victory is certain. But Jesus was nothing, nothing like the Messiah they were looking for. Jesus persists in his teaching by assuring his disciples that even though he is leaving, he will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The original word for counselor is paraclete. And it means, uh, we, we, we have no English word that really translates this fully. 
Um, it literally means a person summoned to one's aid. And it could be understood to read advisor, a legal advocate, a mediator or intercessor, a helper or, or a friend. Furthermore, Jesus says he is sending another counselor. And there, there are two Greek words that, that can be translated another. Alos which means another of the same kind, and, and heteros, which means another of a different kind. And the word here used here is the word alos. Jesus is saying that I will send another comforter, comforter who is exactly like me. Remember that earlier in John 14.6. Remember the claim that Jesus made in John chapter 14.6? It's familiar to many, if not most of us. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Say that with me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus made the claim that I am the truth. The fact that Jesus refers now to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth further identifies a, a powerful connection between Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And while the disciples do not yet understand it, that's clear, they do not yet understand this, it's to their advantage that Jesus is leaving and that the Holy Spirit in, will come in His place. In, in Jesus' ministry on earth, as wonderful as it was, you know, basically only 12 guys got to spend time with Him 24-7. 12 guys. It was great for them, but what about the rest? When the Holy Spirit comes, the Counselor can be in the lives of every believer, everywhere, and for all time. In the lives of the disciples then, and in the lives of us today. In your life, and in my life, right here, right now, in this place, February 17th, 2008, at Lakes Free Church, even in little old Lindstrom, Minnesota. He was not only in the lives of the disciples at Pentecost, but he is in the life of every believer today. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then he is in your life. Period. The difference is that the Holy Spirit is here to stay. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise at the end of his ministry before his ascension into heaven. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So what is our relationship to the Holy Spirit who dwells within us? Well, first, uh, in John 14, 16, 20, 21, and 23, we, we see that the Holy Spirit represents the Trinity in us. John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Verse 20. On that day you, were, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obey them, obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. 
And then verse 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. While it's true that the word Trinity is nowhere found in the Bible, the actual word itself, nonetheless, make no mistake about it, the truth is clearly present and taught. As Christians, we, along with our Jewish friends, believe that indeed God is one God. However, the Bible clearly teaches that at the same time, God is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in verse 16, as well as the rest of these verses, the entire Trinity is represented through the Holy Spirit. Look at John 14, 16 again with me. Jesus says, And I... So here we have represented Jesus, God the Son, will ask the Father, God the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth, God the Spirit. And so because the Holy Spirit lives in each believer, we enjoy the presence of the Trinitarian God. Not just one-third of God, not just two-thirds of God, but all of God. All of God. And that's important to understand. That's very important for us to understand because this means this means that next point the Holy Spirit indwells every believer at the time of conversion. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior and your and, and your Lord, you receive God in all of his fullness right then and right there. Every believer in Jesus Christ is regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit at the time of conversion. When you are saved, when you're born again, when you're regenerated into a new spiritual creation, you receive the Holy Spirit right then and there in all His fullness. There is no later second baptism. There is no such thing. There is no later baptism of the Holy Spirit. It does not exist. There are later fillings and empowerings. But, w- but make no mistake about it. You don't just receive part of God when you're saved. You receive all of God. God indwells us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons right then and there. And we need to hold on to that truth and to believe that truth uh, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because there are those who would tell you that when you are saved you don't receive the Holy Spirit until later. And that's just not true. That's not what God's Word teaches. The next point that uh, Jesus uh, teaches very clearly, the Holy Spirit has fellowship with us. John 14, 17, 17 through 20. The Spirit of truth. Uh, the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 23 adds to that. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him. And this is so beautiful and make our home with Him. 
verse, these verses make it plain that as the, as the disciples had enjoyed walking with Jesus and asking him questions and soaking in his teaching, they had already been walking with the Holy Spirit as well because they were with Jesus and the, and the Holy Spirit was with Jesus. So they were acquainted with the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him. But in verse 17, as we just read, But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And while it is true that Jesus is going to physically, bodily go away, he clearly promises in verse 18 that I will not leave you as orphans. And in verse 23, my, my father will love him and, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The disciples will continue to enjoy deep and abiding, life-changing fellowship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit living in their lives. I have to confess, I didn't get a chance to check this fact out, but one of the commentators uh, pointed out that that when you adopt... Um, I, this, this is a paradox, he, and I've heard this before. I even called an, a, an attorney friend uh, last night to check this out, um, but that wasn't her area of specialty, and, and, and so she didn't know for sure to verify it. So if I'm wrong, please forgive me, but... But I've heard this before, and, and what many commentators have said is that while you can disown your own biological children and disinherit, and disinherit them, once you have adopted a child, you can never dis, disown or disinherit that child. And that's, that's however incomplete that analogy might be, it's, it's just a, a, a tiny, wonderful example of what happens when we are adopted uh, by God as His children. He will never disown us. He will never disinherit us. We become fully one of His children. When my non-Christian friends hear me talk about the Holy Spirit living in me, they think I'm nuts. They can't figure out how someone who has been educated in the same school system, K-12, through and I went 13 years because I flunked kindergarten, um, and then college, and I, I squeezed four years into eight, and and then a master's degree. Um, how someone with that, the, the best edu- you know, the best education that the world can provide, the same education they've had, can believe this. They think that what I refer to as the Holy Spirit is either just a figment of my imagination or a rationalization for spiritualizing my own human thought processes, the same ones they have. But anyone who has been converted, powerfully converted, knows there is a qualitative difference in their life. It's life-changing and it's incomprehensible to the non-believer. And that's why the scriptures say, taste and see that God is good. You have to taste and see for yourself. I can tell you and I can testify, but until you taste and see for yourself, it's really incomprehensible. Last week I was, this this past week on Wednesday, I think it was, I was in, in the car with my daughter Rachel and three of her friends. And as we were driving, I noticed that one of her friends had wires dangling from his ears. It's a sight that is more and more common. 
Some of you have them dangling from your ears right now, I think. Just kidding. (laughs) And uh, I was wondering what he was listening to. All I could see was his body going. And I said, hey. Hey. And he was just just totally oblivious. I was just really curious what he was listening to. So we finally got the... The, the ear thingies off of him and and, um, and then he told me what he was listening to and he tried to describe it to me but I still didn't relate to it it was obvious that he, he was hearing and enjoying something that I was not and that's kind of how it is with the Holy Spirit he speaks to us in the quietness and privacy of our lives and his fellowship with us is personal it's intimate and it's powerful but there's no mistaking it Carol Ann mentioned a couple times in worship that uh, you know that God had spoken to her. Uh, maybe she heard an audible voice. I doubt it. But it, it, there's that 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 the Scripture describes it as God's Spirit testifying to our spirit. There's, there's that inner, intimate, personal voice that, as you walk with the Lord, you become more and more familiar with, and you recognize more readily. And and, and it, it, it opens your it draws you to a, a verse in scripture out of the blue it gives you a thought in crisis it speaks to you powerfully and it's incomprehensible to the world but it, it's the voice of God nonetheless and nothing my friends nothing 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 can take that away from the believer The second major point that this passage of Scripture makes is that the Holy Spirit equips us. Not only do we enjoy intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit equips us with the tools we need for the the journey of life. And while it is not mentioned in this passage, the Scriptures teach us that, that the Holy Spirit equips each of us with a unique gift, a spiritual gift, in order to help us do our part to strengthen the church. But that's a subject for another time. Suffice it to say that in this passage, Jesus reveals two specific ways that the Holy Spirit will equip us. First, the Holy Spirit will teach us, John uh, 14.26a. But the Holy Spirit, the, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Now, admittedly, Jesus is speaking directly to the disciples here. But there is no doubt that he speaks to the disciples with a much broader audience in mind because the Holy Spirit even now, Jesus even now knows that these words will benefit you and me today, right here in this room. Jesus stresses that he is, te- uh, that he is teaching the disciples now so that later they will truly understand and believe after they have seen the cross and witnessed his resurrection. The idea that the conquering Messiah has come to conquer Rome will be swept away by the understanding that Jesus the Messiah came to conquer something much bigger, something far more evil than Rome. Jesus came to conquer nothing less than sin and death and the grave. He came to die on the cross and rise from the grave on the third day. And here in verse 26, He promises the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things. 
It would be the disciples' great privilege and responsibility to write the scriptures of the New Testament. And Jesus assures him here that the Holy Spirit will empower them to do just that. And even though it's not our privilege to write the scriptures, we still, as I, as I just mentioned, have the same Holy Spirit living in us that lived in, in the disciples so long ago. And while it may not be our responsibility or privilege to write the scriptures, it is our responsibility to learn God's word and, and to apply it to our lives. 1 Corinthians 2, 9-13, Paul shares these incredibly beautiful and inspiring words. As it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit teaches us the deep things of God. If you are reading the Scriptures and and it's not clicking, let me challenge and exhort and encourage you to simply pray this this quiet private prayer in the quietness of your own heart Lord help me to understand this God's not a stingy God he's not up there looking down at you going eh, maybe I will maybe I won't he wants you to understand he wants to draw close to you he wants you to draw close to him and if we don't understand God's word ask him he'll reveal it to you he'll open your mind he, and he can do that, and he may do that in the, in, by putting, planting a thought in your mind. He may do that by bringing someone into your life, what appears to be a mere circumstance. The next day, it strikes up a conversation that reveals the truth to you. I can't tell you how many times that's happened. It might come through next week's message. You just never know. But Jesus also goes on to say that the Holy Spirit will remind us. I really like this part. Uh, but the counsel of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will remind you of everything I have said to you. It is possible to be well taught, even brilliantly taught, and still forget, writes James Montgomery Boyce. Have you ever gone home after the worship service and uh, by one o'clock you've sat down, you're sitting down to a wonderful, delicious meal. And all of a sudden you realize you can't remember a single thing Pastor Rick said. Anybody ever experienced that? Anybody experience? You are in big trouble. <laughs> I do that all the time. And uh, much to my embarrassment. We, uh, we have short memories. And we are prone to wander as the hymn says. And we are prone to forget but the, Lord emphasis, but the Lord's emphasis on the Holy Spirit, but the, the Lord reminds his, or tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit will remind him of what he has taught us. And he will remind us the truths of his word in our hour of need. It teaches us two things about this that I, I think are very intriguing. It teaches us that the truth of God's word is not a new thing. Listen to this. We are a culture that lusts for the new. 
we hear about the word experience all the time. We've got to have something new. It's a new car, a new house, a new experience, the next new movie, the new song. It's always got to be the new, the new teaching, the new thought, the new revelation. We're in the middle of a presidential campaign that, praise God, is ending in a few months. And... And all we're hearing about is change, 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 and hope, and change, and, and, and that's all good, but, but we, we lust for the new. And the Holy Spirit reminds us that we were created in God's image with dignity and worth, but that sin has separated us, separated us from God. Oh, excuse me, I skipped my, the, the, the quote here. The Holy Spirit does not give us new doctrines. Rather, He brings eternal truths to our remembrance. So what we preach is not new doctrine, but the old doctrine once and for all delivered to the saints. That really grabbed me this week. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we were created in God's image with dignity and worth, but that sin has separated us from God. He reminds us that in our sin we are utterly incapable of saving ourselves and that it is only God's grace through Jesus Christ that can save us. The Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit reminds us that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, but that the Holy Spirit himself will live in us until the time when the trumpet is heard throughout the world and Jesus returns. James Montgomery Boyce observes, These are not new doctrines, folks. They are old doctrines. They are eternal doctrines. They are timeless doctrines. And they are doctrines that the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance. Secondly, it teaches us, uh, the Holy Spirit reminding us of, of truth, teaches us that we tend to forget God's truth, even though we've heard it many times. It's true that we have to hear something several times and in different ways before we really get it. But even when we do grasp, finally grasp a concept... We tend to forget it unless we're reminded over and over again. My, my daughter is taking all these hard courses that I used to know. Uh, in high school, she, I've had biology and I've had trigonometry and I've had calculus and I've had sociology and I've had American history and the list goes on and on. But I'm pretty much helpless to help Rachel out in her studies. About the best I can do is encourage her. You go, girl. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> Love those report cards. <laughs> um, we're forgetful. But we have the Holy Spirit to remind us patiently over and over again the timeless truths of Scripture. So the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit equips us. And finally, the Holy Spirit empowers us. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus emphasizes two of the many ways the Holy Spirit empowers us. And the first is to love and obey. One of the basic principles of Bible study is the principle of repetition. Anytime something is repeated in Scripture, pay attention. It's important. Not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus repeats his teaching about love and obedience. Oh, we like the love part, but we don't like the obedience part. 
John 14.15. Look what he says in John 14.15. Right out of the chute. First verse. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Jump down to verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who what? Loves me. Verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. The Greek word eros is the word we get erotic from. It's romantic, sensual, erotic love. It's based on feelings. And guess what? God created that love. It's good in its place. But uh, that's basically the love that the world knows. Primarily. That's the focus. It's what I call Hollywood love. Hollywood love is sentimental love. Hollywood love is conditional love. Hollywood love is often, not always, but often, if not usually, selfish love. It's, based, it's love based on feelings. And when the feelings are gone, the love is gone. Love is talk and talk is cheap. But God's love is agape love. God's love is unconditional. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is abiding and eternal. God's love is obedient. God's love is costly. And that is the love that Jesus calls us to. Jesus closes this passage in John 14.31 with these words, The world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus talked the talk and walked the walk. Jesus does not ask us to do something He has not done Himself. Just as Jesus loved the Father perfectly and obeyed Him perfectly in all that He commanded, even unto death on the cross, so Jesus calls us to love Him and obey His commands. The proof of our love for Jesus is not in emotional displays or or cheap talk, but in obedience to His will. And that is not something that we mere mortals can ever hope to do on our own or in our own strength. And Jesus knows that. He knows we are weak. He knows we are fickle. And that's why He has given us the Holy Spirit in order to empower us to love Him and to empower us with the desire and the ability to obey Him and then to pick us up when we fail and to love us unconditionally. Having said that, it's important that we emphasize that our great salvation is not dependent on our obedience, but rather obedience is the inevitable inevitable evidence and fruit of of our salvation. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And last but not least, the Holy Spirit will empower us with peace. John 14.27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as uh, we close this with these last few thoughts and a challenge for all of us. Anyone can be at peace when life is peaceful. Did you hear that? Anyone can be at peace when life is peaceful. However, the word for peace in the Bible, shalom, never means simply the absence of trouble. It means everything which makes for our highest good. The peace which the world offers us is the peace of escape 
the peace which comes from the avoidance of trouble and from refusing to face things. But the peace which Jesus offers us is the peace of conquest. And no experience of life can ever take it away from us. And no sorrow, no danger, no suffering can ever make it less. And it's independent of outward circumstances. And through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the same peace that sustained Jesus through His suffering and through the cross is available to you and to me. For the disciples, the entire, Jesus' entire point of this passage was to prepare His disciples for His departure. But for us, Christ, as Christ's disciples today, the entire point of this passage is to empower us to persevere and to live victoriously until Jesus returns. How are you doing? Are you living victoriously in the joy of your salvation? Knowing that the, the Holy Spirit is in your life. He loves you. He longs to spend time with you. He's on your side. He's your best friend. He's your advocate. He's your, he's your counselor. He gives you peace to face any storm that you have. Or are you, are you discouraged this morning? Does He seem far away from you or does He seem near? He's not here to guilt you. He's not here to browbeat you. He's here to say, I love you. And I want to be with you. Because He wants you to be victorious and joyful. And uh, nothing can take that away from us. And that is my prayer for us. Father, uh, you know the story with every single life in this room. You know each and every circumstance. You know each and every situation. You know every illness. You know every ache. You know every pain. You know every argument. I wouldn't. I, in a room this size, Lord, I, we know statistically that someone had a fight on their way to church today and came in angry. You know every situation. Someone, someone came in this morning, uh, really, really struggling just to get here. You know every situation, Lord. You know every story. And Lord, we lay it all at your feet, and we acknowledge that your spirit is greater than this world. I ask and pray, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to yield to you and to live lives of victory and triumph and joy. That the, strength, the church would be strengthened, that your name would be honored and glorified, and the world would look and see and know that we serve the living God. And we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.